0: what's up fam welcome back to that's the angle and guys i i probably sound a little beat because last night that's the angle hosted our second ever art show for the homie henry d whose podcast will be dropping soon but we hosted an art show and over 100 people came out it was crazy success all the artwork sold out all the custom merch everyone came and had a great time it was it was so cool so if you're in washington dc you should definitely check uh, out the events that we're doing. Super cool. But anyways, guys, welcome to the Marta Stottinger interview. And this one, I sit down with her because she is super interesting. She is a gallery owner, curator, artist herself. And she yeah, she knows a lot about the art world. And so she dropped a bunch of knowledge on us. And her story was incredible as well. I really think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, she was so easy to talk to. A lot of value if you're an artist. And uh, yeah, you could probably learn anything from this so anyways guys let's get into it enjoy the podcast
1: peace Ooh. that's the angle Ooh, what? That's the, the podcast how you feeling i feel good
0: mm. yeah me too <laughs> it's always nice doing like interview into the next interview because like you feel like i'm in the mood to talk warmed yeah, i'm warmed up i hope you were talking to a friend before this because you're always ready
1: <laughs> i was not
0: yeah well, So, got, blah, blah, blah. what's up guys welcome back to that's the angle and i am joined with Marta Stodinger. Oh, you said it right. I said it right? Yeah. Nice. Kudos. (laughs) What do people normally call you, Martha?
1: Oh, I get the Martha. I get a Marda. And then the last name, I kind of get anything in this world. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It all works. I'm I'm notorious for messing up people's names live. So glad I got one right. Yeah. So you were a guest I've definitely had on my mind to ask to come on the show for quite some time. I swear to God. Yeah, uh, just because, like, you and Latella and everything you're doing there. But, like, I feel like what you do seems so, like, it seems like a dream job in a weird <laughs> way. Like, like you, you're you a curator, gallery owner, artist. Like, it seems like like you're making it up. Like, in like, just the whole, like, fine art world, it's, like, even within that world, which I'm in, there's another world, like, that you're in that seems so, like, out of reach and unobtainable. Oh, my God. Like, the whole curator and, like, connecting to people who actually want to buy art yeah like is 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 the crazy art buying world like a crazy society where you like did like a blood pact or something like what's going on there (laughs)
1: um yeah i don't know what that world is yeah still yeah i like it's so funny i i apprenticed with this guy in italy years ago and he's just changed his whole painting palette and and Mm -hmm. art thing into this really dramatic thing yesterday actually that was a post about uh last two decades I painted and now I'm done type of thing and like he's just starting his stuff o- over and he has all of these works with a friend in uh somewhere in the states mm-hmm. and he's cut off every gallery that's been they've been just selling his work at 50,000 pounds left and right and he gets 50% of it and wow. I mean he's doing so well and he was like yeah so i've got these extra like 20 works in the states if you want to just sell them it's something i'm doing quickly though so figure it out and i'm like i don't know how to figure that out like what what are you talking about this is recent it was yesterday and i'm like i what? I just like snap my fingers and find somebody who's gonna spend fifty thousand dollars. Like it, it doesn't work.
0: Is that the price point one of these is going for?
1: Yeah, all of his works are about that price point.
0: And he gave you how many? Like just like a bunch of them. Well, he
1: didn't give them to me. I think they're they're somewhere else. But he gave me an inventory, a catalog of them. And oh. he's like, hey, can you like help me sell these? And I'm like,
0: <laughs> and you you like, like I don't
1: know how that world <laughs> thinks that exists. Really.
0: You know? <laughs> But you, yeah, sell, you sell artwork and in, in, <coughs> in, in, in connect people all the time.
1: I do. I do. But usually um, those are relationships that build over time mm. or I'm proposing something very specific either for an exhibition or for, um, for like a, a, a corporate client. And mm-hmm. so it's a little bit more mission-based rather than just finding someone with money. And, and I know that art world exists, mm-hmm. but I'm not in the blue chip art world That's where I just know all of these people who are going to drop fifty thousand yeah. dollars at the like. I I don't know those people. <laughs> I, <don't> know <laughs> I mean that yes,
0: it's like who are those people? Like know. what kind of friends are you making? Where it's just like I don't know. Hey, I got this artist
1: come buy my art. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who they are.
0: So where do you think you're going to start with that?
1: Um, I actually had a new client come through that I wasn't anticipating that Mm -hmm. could maybe buy two, but I think that if I get that done, then that would be a huge pat on the back, but I'm not holding my breath. (laughs)
0: That's so crazy. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, I might do a little intro to the Italian embassy to see if they want to collect him, but I I don't know the people who would buy that. Yeah, like I can't
0: just... The people in that bracket let alone know them it's like most people don't know someone who's who spent thousand dollars on art
1: yeah yeah and it's yeah they're definitely like different ripples right and mm-hmm. so i have been moving up in my ripples but i'm, <laughs> I'm not there <laughs> but 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 either.
0: but you're doing it which which is insane yeah. like the fact that you're even selling things for a good amount of money like that in itself just seems so unapproachable for the normal person like oh, it seems yeah. so mysterious
1: yeah and that took a really long time did it to get to yeah and i always had faith that it would happen if i did the right groundwork for mm. Latella and and created a brand and and a brand that was strong enough that these high-paying developers would want to seek out mm-hmm. um but there were times that I thought, hmm, is this really the right way to do it? Because they're not coming in yet. And I know that it takes time, but it, it feels really good to be here now because that uh, wasn't always the case.
0: How, how old is LaTella?
1: Five years now. Wow, five yeah. years. That's, a, that's yeah. a
0: legit amount of time. It's half, it is half a legit, decade. Yeah, like,
1: I know. <laughs> most
0: people give up after a year or two, but you're five years in. Five years in. You're not throwing that away. Like
1: No, no, no. No, at this point, that's my child walking around out there
0: so what is LaTella and like what does it do what is the the mission of it
1: Mm.
0: besides sell really expensive art
1: yeah unless that's (laughs) the mission and we not we don't sell very expensive Mm -hmm. art I mean we we have I think probably works on paper for 250 bucks I mean there's a good amount that's under 500 um but then depending on the client I mean So Latella is a few different things now, and it's kind of become this new monster every six months that I reformat and and shed some skin. Um, It is a brand that is an art consultancy brand. Mm. Um, So I wanna be working with local artists to try to place their work, curate really interesting narratives in exhibitions, and keep expanding that. And so I don't want it to be connected. To any specific space so for mm. a long time we were known as a gallery but i see that so much more as my office because i think that especially now five years in those um, curatorial projects need to be outside of the limitation of that small space and in larger spaces or maybe not even in dc or in a client's home or in a client's office building for example mm-hmm. <clears throat> so but with that There is a spirit element that's really important to me because, um, I think a lot of people who deal in the arts are not very, um, trustworthy. Interesting. Um, Who makes you say that? For artists and for buyers. I think that there's a stigma about going into these bigger blue chip chip color galleries, Mm -hmm. um, of you know they, they don't talk to you when you walk in or you know if you don't look like you can buy anything then you're not welcome there or um, on the dealing side artists never really know how much something was actually sold for so they don't always know the full cut and like those are just stories and speculations but I wanted to be if I was coming out with a brand of an art consultancy very transparent mm. and also um, you know you have to build from the ground up I didn't come from a family with money or connections in the art world or, you know, anything to kind of have, you know, jump into different level of society yeah. where I just knew people who had $50,000. Yeah. Like, oh Well, let me yeah. I have these creative friends. Why don't you just buy their stuff? So I started with local artists. And so mm. the work we had was only two to five hundred dollars. And then it was like, OK, let's keep expanding the value of the artists that we work with and the value of the gallery and the value of the brand over time Mm -hmm. and so it's something that's kind of grown with the local creative economy Um, and so because of that i noticed that a lot of artists and i think for many reasons instagram uh, dc being a particularly um, marginalized city when it comes to creativity um, but they were like really starving like really desperate and um not aligned with themselves with what their vision was with um patience with um just everything that is the internal work that i truly believe um, one needs to really set the right intentions to know what you're manifesting and art is so much of personal manifestation so if you don't really know like what you're throwing around and so I figured that that spirit needed to be two-sided, how we work with clients, but also how we work with artists. And I think that's what's really separated us from other art consultancies.
0: Mm. So it's time. not just like sell expensive stuff and do that. It's, it's a lot rooted in let's help like my local people. Let's help oh, yeah. these artists find themselves and find their voice and to... Establish them so they can figure out what their path is, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't represent artists, so okay. we're not helping them. We're not incubating them in a way where I am buying them out or or expecting some kind of a representation of them and continuous exchange for my investment in them. Mm-hmm. It's something more project based. Um, So every time we've had an exhibition that's a solo exhibition, there's so much incubation behind the scene to make sure that that collaboration is worthwhile on multiple fronts for that artist. That they're Mm. using Latella and they're using me and our audience and our space and our resources to really create a project that um, can catapult them as far as possible so there's a lot of that but then individually we do um regular uh meditations on the moon that artists are welcome to and a lot of artists come to that but community at large comes to that
0: that is very spiritual Mm -hmm. (laughs) meditation on the moon
1: every new and full moon ever since Latella opened uh we have opened up the doors for a group to come and meditate Mm. and just journal and align and that's a practice that i personally have yeah. and just figured i'd make space for artists to do that and also for a community that maybe would not be art 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 like audience but interested to learn about the arts to kind of ease their way in mm-hmm. okay. and that's something that um a lot of artists come to oh it's interesting yeah
0: yeah, I, I find just like looking at your Instagram, you are a very spiritual person. I like, and and I, I'm one of those people who appreciates it, but I don't get it, but I appreciate it. And, and I find the spirituality here and there. Yeah. But for people like yourself, I'm just like, damn, she's woke. I don't get it. Like, <laughs> like what? what is she smoking? I got no idea. Like, <laughs> but, but I think a lot of that does play into being an artist. Like, you have to oh, yeah. be in touch with yourself and how you're feeling. And I guess there is some spirituality rooted there to to express yourself onto a canvas or whatever that medium might be
1: right and and i think a lot of people deter from the idea of spirituality as connected to religion Mm. and it and i think that it's more of a consciousness and every artist has it if there's that moment to and it usually comes from like your gut where you need to be creating some type of project or following some type of passion that kind of meets with this self criticism or analysis on how to keep shedding skin and doing it better Mm. and that's the same thing that I feel that's the parallel to anybody who's just constantly working on themselves constantly trying to grow and improve and you know lead with compassion and you know, get to know themselves better. I mean, that's really all it is. I mean, that is what art
0: is. It's like your thoughts manifested, like ideas into reality. That's the crazy part about it all It's like you're just turning these things into real things.
1: Yeah. And then on a business side, it's how can you communicate that effectively enough and academically enough to make an audience who doesn't know who you are and potentially shouldn't care who you are actually care, right? And that's the hard
0: part for artists. It's really hard. Even I've noticed is that it's, how do you be taken seriously? How do you get someone like you to represent, not represent, but how do you get someone like you to consider them and to say, hey, let me help you out? Because I feel like I I know so many artists and meet some artists who, they're like half foot in, half foot out maybe, Mm -hmm. or they just don't know their voice. But like, is there... A specific thing like you look for when it comes to artists that you might work with or
1: yeah I, f- I feel like I when I didn't have my voice yet I saw a lot of interviews that asked that question I was like yeah tell me what's that what's, what's that ingredient how can they work with me um I don't know it's this like um, <laughs> yeah because I feel like I'm on the other side now which is kind of cool um but there's... Um, I really look for... I need to see a meaning in their work. So they need to already be able to tell me what it's about, even if I can help them refine that communication, that mm-hmm. message. They don't need to have it um, fully pitched. But um, they need to know enough of what their work is about for me to be able to do my job. Yeah. Um, and... I can tell you more about what deters me than, you know, like what really deters me is an artist who, um, kind of presses me out. Like I'm working for them Mm. and I get approached like that so much. That's kind of like, Hey, you have this thing that you've built and I'm not going to really recognize or appreciate anything that you might've gone through to do that. I just want some of it for myself and I get that energy, like full throttle a lot and it's just like, no, you already came very incorrectly. Um, Because, you know, I think that artists, uh, again, I think that they're so hungry in this city, which I have so much compassion for. And I was very hungry when I started Latella. I was like, who can I bombard? (laughs) So I get it, I get it. But, But I think that you have to get through that phase and put your head down and actually do the work mm-hmm. to create quality.
0: Why do you think artists are so hungry in the city? Is it, Would you like a tissue or something, by the way? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, I think it's because it's so cold out. Well, it's also
0: cold on here. Hold it. Give me one second. Talk,
1: talk to the people. Don't leave it dead air. Just oh, okay. Don't leave it dead air. Okay. Um, well, I'm in um. And the first thing that I said when I came in was... How dope this space is! Because Amir, uh, the guy who's the mastermind behind OM, um, actually had a space in the Anacostia Arts Center, and I curated my second show for Latella ever there, actually.
0: I missed it. What'd you say?
1: I curated. I don't think I told you this part. I curated the second show I ever did for Latella in OM.
0: In, in this place in the
1: anacostia arts Center. oh
0: in the anacostia wow that's insane yeah full circle
1: super full circle okay um, so what
0: like, like we were saying before the sniffles uh it's like you you create this thing that's essentially like your baby or child the Latella archives it's an extension yeah, yeah. of you and for someone to come in and to not treat you like a human yeah with this thing you create and just be like hey how can you help me sell this painting for thousands of dollars it's like i could see i feel disrespected because it's, you're like how about we connect first yeah and then talk about this business relationship let us
1: connect or you know organically mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that you need to come to every exhibition opening and like you know smother me either it it's um it could just be a very thoughtful email yeah you know but i think that um that is something that definitely turns me off because i came into this to work for myself and mm-hmm. And so I, I love being a team player, but if I sense that my energy is going to be taken for granted from the beginning, then I'm not going to engage mm. because I know that I have a lot to bring to the table and, um, just not going to do all that work. I mean, it's you a do 50, 50 partnership.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could like launch someone's career if you really felt like fucking around and making them <laughs> someone, you
1: know? And I, <laughs> and I would love to do that. I mean, I, I, I like, um, you know, I've been having a lot of moments lately where I um, see so many artists I've worked with doing so many cool things now, and it gives me validation now that there's been enough time passed. And, and I don't think that I've done um, anything. I think I was just a tiny, um, you know, notch on a belt for each of these people that I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. But it's cool to feel like you've played a role in, in a positive, constructive development role in somebody's career out here when there's no real way to navigate, right? Yeah,
0: there is no path. It's not like get a degree and do this. It's like, uh, what right. do you do?
1: Right. So, so yeah, that's, it's, it's a cool... It's a cool time for me. I don't know. Well, it has
0: to be because like it's like now the five years of work it's now it's manifesting into it all these beautiful things into the artists that you helped in the first second year maybe even before that you see them rocking out and flourishing their own self. But what what was it like? Like why did you start it? Like what made you want to kind of be because you were an artist, I guess, before it all. Mm-hmm. What made you want to start the gallery as a space as a curation or or whatever it does now? Like what?
1: Yeah. Um... There were, I think there were a few things that happened that really pushed me over the edge. Yeah, like what? (laughs) Um, Well, I was working at the National Gallery of Art. Mm -hmm. My background is in museum work, archiving and curating and collections management, provenance, etc. And I had my own personal art um, practice and i felt like well honestly i looked at how the job i think i applied to maybe four curatorial position jobs i was working in the archives mm-hmm. really cool position in the archives but i knew that if i was there too long that i wouldn't look like a curator on paper mm. even though my master's was in curatorial studies
0: oh wow yeah, that was a thing.
1: yeah and so i was really starting to get that like type a itch of if i'm here too long and i don't get into a curatorial position will i ever get into a curatorial position and i was realizing and the departments were so separate as in most large institutions and i was realizing that um, it would have been better to volunteer in the right department and move up that way than try to do a lateral you know, archive, which is a separate skill set. There's mm-hmm. a separate master's also for archival science to to this thing that was actually what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And so, I, you know, the practical reason behind it was um, if I stay here, I don't think I'm going to have an easy time growing into the career that I think I would like. And I don't oh. even really know if I want to be an institutional curator I just know that I want to storytell and add creativity somehow to mm-hmm. my day to day. And um, the second thing is, I was also teaching yoga regularly. Oh, now it all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt very strongly that I, as I was understanding my professional alignment, mm-hmm. I had um, this self alignment that was propelling. Um, and so I felt that there were tools from that world that were helping me see that um, now that then now was the time to kind of figure out my own um, project, and that all I had to lose was you know the idea really was we'll build your curatorial palette and portfolio, and then you can always re-enter into the workforce with a few years of curating on your back. True. And so that was really my only motivation is I couldn't find the job I wanted. So I thought, well, I might as well create it.
0: It's interesting. Yeah. It's like you you didn't have the technical degree for it. So it's like you had no choice but to sort of let's do it myself. Let's figure it out.
1: Yeah. And I also saw at that time um, there were there was one curatorial position that opened in the National Gallery. And I think all five of us that were overqualified all applied at the same time. And I was like, there's th- a job like this might come around again in 10 years. Oh, and it's so, like people like, don't leave these positions yeah, for long periods yeah. of time. Yeah, and I know that's not the only institution here in D.C. And, and I was looking at jobs in Chicago or New York, but I really wanted to be here in D.C. And so I thought, okay, I just, I'm not feeling confident that um, I'm going to build the career that I want to. So, so what did it, you do
0: you just like fuck it and you quit one day and you started like what was that yeah, like yeah uh,
1: yeah i kind of had a plan i had like a i think i had like a six month plan mm-hmm. and now when i meet people and they say uh yeah i think i'm gonna do this but i'm gonna give myself a year i go yeah that would have been a great idea <laughs> <laughs> you, but i'm like once i have my mind made up i jump so <laughs>
0: do, do you think that if you said if you would if you said i, I would have <laughs> given myself a year then i'll go back to like a normal job do you think you would have do you think a year would have been enough time. No.
1: Yeah. No. No, I think. Um, I think after a year, I definitely wasn't making the money I wanted to make, and I I did apply to some jobs actually, and I kind of felt like a failure for a second. And I knew that it wouldn't help me applying to those jobs because I had to prove that I'd actually built something worth of value. Mm. Um, Because even if I wanted to go back into the institutional world, I felt that I needed to come out with a practical knowledge that maybe the institution wouldn't have, but potentially need in the future. So I, yeah, no, I knew that I needed to at least hit five or six years before seriously entering um, and now I don't, at least for right now, I don't think I'm going to, um, <laughs> but like,
0: like you went and got like a waiter job.
1: I worked. Okay. So, well, one thing that it opened up a possibility for, for me to do is I lecture for Smithsonian. Um, they do trips all around the world. And wow. since I have, yeah, that's exactly. cool. It's super cool. That is cool. Um, because I have lived in Italy and Spain for quite some time and, and my art history background is in those art history worlds Mm -hmm. um i lecture for them in italy and spain a few times a year and that was something that was an opportunity that arised to me when i was working at the nga that i couldn't take because i couldn't take that much leave and so i knew that that could support me somewhat and that i'd be able to do that and that was something that was calling to me um, so I always balanced the Smithsonian lecturing gig, which is only a few times a year. I mean, it's not enough income to live off of, but it's but at that point it it's
0: better than nothing. Than nothing. <laughs> when you when it's yeah, it's, and it
1: allowed me to travel, and also I think that it allowed me to detach from this thing that I was building, so that I wasn't like super unhealthily in yeah. it. You know, yeah. I had another responsibility that I had to switch my brain off for and and my incubator brain off for. Um, but yeah, I worked a waitressing job. I worked every Friday night at um, Elizabeth's Gone Raw, mm-hmm. which is a, just, I picked it because it's only open on Fridays. It sounds
0: like a strip club. What is that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's, a, it's a vegan, like 5 oh. course meal restaurant. Oh,
0: that sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. And it was, it was I love the people there. And um, it was nice to be able to just do something every Friday night and not, you know, I could kind of segment my life. And I worked as a temp for an agency and they were so sweet. Wow. I, when I, um, interviewed with them, I said, hi, um, I want to do something. They like wanted your resume and your references and all of these things. And I was like, yeah, I want all of the jobs where I just sit and answer phone. Cause I'm <laughs> building my business. And <laughs> You're I so honest. Like- but it worked great. I mean, they'd put me in like, um, I remember once for a week I had to sit for the receptionist in a real estate development office in city center oh, God. and I like built the Latilla website that whole week. It's it so was so much free great. time. You're like, yeah. chill.
0: I'm getting paid to sit and build awesome. my website.
1: It was awesome. And then I had all of these meetings that just happened to be right in Chinatown. I was like, okay, I could, I could do this. I mean, but then it got to a point where I actually needed to dedicate more time to Lutella but, but that, I'd say that the says, first year it and
0: says, a half it says so much about you though and, and just like the grit it which is something that most people can't handle which is why entrepreneurship is not for most people it's like you were at a job that most people probably dream about like the Smithsonian yeah. gig like that's a big deal and the fact that you left that to start your own thing and then like and you have it sounds like you have like a master's or something like that I do it's like you're a waitress with a master's trying to build something it's like most people wouldn't be able to stomach that or to endure that for a year or two years or for whatever it might be. It's like you have to humble yourself in this weird oh, yeah. like way that just it sucks so bad because you're worried like, how, what's my family gonna think? What are my friends gonna think? like what's oh, yeah, all these all these weird pressures that we shouldn't be worried about, but we are.
1: oh my god and and it um, I'm so thankful for it now, but at the time, there were definitely times where I wondered. Am I making the right choice? Because mm. all of my friends at that time were getting married, and they were in these jobs where they had very fancy retirement plans, and not to mention healthcare. And <laughs> yeah. here I am, like I'm giving all of that up, and they're all like, "You're fucking crazy." What are you building? And, the, and and especially in the arts. It's like, well, what tangible is coming out of this? What's yeah. your business plan? It's like, I don't know. I need to build my portfolio. Like, it's not a business plan, it's a portfolio, right? It's very different. Um, and so, and I think that that's why when I meet an artist who um, just willy nilly wants something, I'm like, oh, you've got a <laughs> long road ahead of you of work, you know, because yeah. it is work. And to think that it's anything, Different from that, I think in the creative field, it's actually more work it is. than other trajectories. And yeah. so you have to have that skin.
0: Yeah, I think people confuse the fact that I think artists are lazy, but it's quite the opposite. They work longer than nine to five hours. Like, oh. or sorry, from the nine to five life you work when you wake up, working at bed. Like, and it's a constant grind because even now these days, you can't just be a painter. You have to be a brand on Instagram. You have to oh my god do consulting and graphic design and you have to do all these other side things. And being an actual painter might be like 20% of what you actually do.
1: Oh, absolutely. And so funny. I said to my roommate yesterday, I woke up and I was like, who am I going to play today? Artist or admin? <laughs> I didn't even know I was saying that out loud. And she was just like, holy fuck, is that not the, you know, just the the theme for any creative entrepreneur you know it's like is today a day i'm going to create versus manage all of my creations and photograph them and get them online and create content and like there's so much bullshit. like you're <laughs> yeah. you know you're and and i think about the departments that like for example the national gallery it was like the archives and the curatorial and the development and the special events and i'm like holy shit, i literally wear Every single hat.
0: Yeah, you do all their jobs. Yeah,
1: on a smaller, much smaller oh, yeah. scale. Yeah, but, much smaller scale. But, you know, you're exercising all of that. Mm-hmm. And, um,
0: and all the business stuff, the t- weird tax shit. Like, oh, oh God. Oh, don't
1: like, even. I've got to trace down, like, 10 W-9s. And I'm like, I've got a week. Yeah. A week to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, stuff like that. But it's, 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 it's such, It's there's so much more to being a professional artist or being a professional in the creative industry that just people don't get that I think... Yeah. It's like I give so it's like you give so much more props to people who actually are doing it. But like what when you were working in those in the early days of, of creating this thing it's like what were some of like the first initial breaks or like things that started happening when you were like oh I think this is actually going to work. Oh,
1: yeah. Um That's a good question. Like, like were there certain
0: moments you were like oh wow like I am doing something here. Like I'm yeah. not wasting my time like
1: There were. Um I remember the first time that I think it was about the third time that our moon meditation was at capacity. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, this is something that's actually happening Mm -hmm. um, because we held space for that. And I say we, Sierra and I, who is a Reiki practitioner who found me and uses the our space i don't really like to say gallery anymore but Latella's space Mm -hmm. um for some of her trainings and stuff as well so we've been aligned in that uh we uh we every new and full moon would put something up and offer the space and i think for like eight months no one came wow and i was just like well i'm sticking to this because this is my practice and i might as well do it here in this space because i I breathe this and you know, if people wanna come they can come and if they don't, that's fine, I'm gonna do it anyway. And all of a sudden, you know, two people came and then two weeks later five people came and oh. when we got to a point where three times in a row we were at capacity, which for us is like ten people, but still. But still. I was like, Okay, something's happening there. I remember that. Um and I remember when I started selling work at exhibitions. Um I think that for the first year, I mean, I would sell like a piece here and a piece there. Um, but when I had a show where like half of the work sold, I was like, "Oh, whoa,
0: that's a big deal." Am I getting
1: good at this, or is it like the name, or did I just pick the right artist? You yeah. know, and, and I kind of would go back and go, "What, what went right?"
0: Yeah, why was that so success, successful? What what happened?
1: I think that I started, um, I started to know my audience. I started to know my audience and I knew that I could present um, and I think some of it was building the brand. And Mm -hmm. so at that time, a lot of people who maybe had enough income to invest like 500 to 1500 in art Mm -hmm. and maybe as like their one big piece above their couch. Yeah. Um, I think that the brand was cool enough that they were like, let's go check out this space.
0: Ah, like it seemed legit. Like they're like, okay, I trust them with my money and to say I I got art from them.
1: Yeah. And like all of that kind of happened right around the same time. So like a lot of those people as one-offs were coming pretty much all at once. And I was like, oh, okay. So There is something with staying consistent and standing firm. And, um, I think also that, that transparency Mm -hmm. that, um, they, they feel that they can trust us, trust me now that they're ready to spend and they just have no idea. And I think a lot of it is people don't trust their own taste. Ah. And so they're like, okay, now I can go to this place. Um, and to this person and to this brand who I like everything they've put up, but I don't know if that fits best for me and that they would give me a really good opinion.
0: That's interesting. It's like, yeah, people have to believe in not just a brand, but like you and then your opinion as an, as I mean your resume is ridiculous. I'm sure if they looked at it, they'd be like, oh, of course, yes, yeah, sure, you're a Smithsonian. But they have to trust all of that to put their money on the
1: line. And themselves, you yeah. know, because I'm not huh. going to pick one of my favorite artists. I'm going to listen to what they want. And mm. especially if it's a couple, like who, who are you? How do you live? What do you like? Um, also, what does your home look like? But we're not matching couches here. Um, <laughs> you know, to, to give some very valuable advice Mm -hmm. um so and many times i've advised artists that i've never worked with oh wow yeah that i'm just watching and i go hey you know i'm looking at this person and we haven't really met up yet but you should reach out to them or i can reach out for you if you want
0: oh like i might have like a good sell or a position or something that could help you in a sense
1: Yeah, like, no, when a couple comes to me, and they Mm -hmm. they want something, and I can say, hey, I've never worked with this artist, I've never, I've literally never met them, but, you know, I was at OM yesterday, and love the works up on the wall, and, like, you should connect with Amir, and he'll put you on with the artist. It's like, you
0: have to, like, build the credibility in a way, it's like, you have to, like, build the trust of the people that your opinion matters, is that that really what it is when it comes to art curation, is that, like, people trust your opinion, or... Or or you, or is it that you have like an actual eye for art? Because it's so hard to tell, especially for someone who knows nothing.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that people relate to different things. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just making a brand that is steady and relatable and you attract what you put out. So, you know, I'm not going to attract any and everyone who's interested in learning about art. But I will attract, you know, people who like my vibe and my curation, and so we would be a good fit. That makes sense. Yeah,
0: I mess with that. I mean, it <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's. I mean, Latella's also in like a really cool part of town.
1: We are in a cool part. Like, yeah, you, you gotta take
0: it. I mean, that itself is a look. Like you guys are like right off the metro in like I this know. crazy arts district and it's like right there it's like it it looks so good that how do you not trust it
1: (laughs) it looks so good like you're like oh my god like i appreciate that um yeah i like the arts walk i like our neighbors um it's really nice to be daily going to an office where i see other creatives Mm. you know and i've learned so much shit i mean one of my neighbors katie from Sitchin and rivet who creates leather and canvas handbags. Um isn't fully, but kind of teaching me how to sew and help me sew a few of my canvases and I'll just kinda of go in there and be like, Hey, I haven't an idea. You have the skill set. Can you help us as they're out? <laughs> like so, um, but no, I've I've got some good good neighbors and they've become good friends and
0: Yeah, it's an interesting part of town. Brooklyn is developing it's like an interesting developing arts district.
1: I think so. You know, they have the lofts nearby too, and they oh, have yeah. dance place. So,
0: you couldn't convince me to live over there, but like <laughs> arts wise, it's cool. And I like I respect that like, yeah. in that section. But it's like you're not sure the hotel is like one fraction of what you do, but you you come from an artist background.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Was that why you were traveling overseas and stuff? Is like studying as an artist, or were you studying as a curator? or as some sort of like, or developing your eye or something. I don't know what to really say, like what that word for that is. Uh, I
1: don't, I don't, I think I had a very specific mission if um, like uh, practically, but I knew I had another soulful mission that I didn't really know how to articulate at the time. Mm. Um, when I was in undergrad here, at, um, I went to George Mason. Um, I studied art history and I had a specialization in Renaissance art. So Italian Renaissance between, like, the last years of the 1400s through 1500s. And so I knew, I applied to grad schools to get into Renaissance specialty master's programs. And luckily now, but heartbrokenly then, didn't get into any of them. And so I figured, okay, well, if I go do a year there, then how could they possibly deny me? (laughs) (laughs) And so... That was my sole mission to go to Italy. And I studied three different semesters abroad there. I was like obsessed with Italian Renaissance art. I was super obnoxious about it. Oh, you're (laughs) like a big big bookworm about it. And um, so I moved there with the idea to get a job working in the museums. Mm. And um, I really dug and like hit that nail as hard as I could. And yeah, the job scenario, not so easy. Um, But because they're just all like very close circles and have like five employees per museum. Um, But I did get a position where I could pay. (laughs) I paid to have insurance to be able to be there as an intern. So that if I touched any of the works of art and like messed them up, there was like insurance.
0: In a weird way, it makes sense
1: it makes sense yeah um it was my only way in so i was like i'll do whatever so even then i worked in bars at night to be able to work in the museums during the day wow and i was like i'm gonna you know learn whatever i could and that was really great because my italian was like mediocre at best and i got the vulgar street language at (laughs) night (laughs) perfect like the Super um Dantean uh, <laughs> language okay. during the day. Um I ended up staying there for almost four years. Wow. And kept instead of accepting and going to a program, deterring and like deferring a year and I was kind of laying all my options out. And that's when I realized that um first of all, the whole time I was practicing my own art and surrounding myself with art friends. And so I think that that was the soulful thing is that I think I was looking for um, a creative community to mm. allow me permission to be creative. And In Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anywhere, really. Yeah. But I think that I had a call there um, that I followed. I just had this gut thing and I was like, I, I need to be there. So I'm going to make up the excuse of Renaissance because that makes sense on paper. It but- makes perfect <laughs> sense to
0: me. Wait, so do you, do you know a lot about Da Vinci?
1: I do know about Da Vinci. Was he gay? I don't think so. I think he was just... Um, I heard he was gay. I don't think that you can categorize a spectrum from that time.
0: Okay. Well, I'm only saying that because my buddy Sean, as Peter Plug came on, and he told me his crazy story about... So I, I, I'm sure you know that the Da Vinci painting that recently sold for like half a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. That painting was a commissioned piece like that, that Da Vinci did, but he was saying that that piece he used, it was like for the Pope or something that he used, uh, uh, like for like the model, like who he modeled that he used like a gay guy. And, and then there are stories that Da Vinci himself was gay too, and it's so funny because it's like the church and Da Vinci and the gay uh, mm-hmm. subject and all that. And so I'm like, wait a minute, are you telling me that, that Da Vinci was gay, and that and that our, and our idea of what Jesus looks like is based off a gay dude? I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, so we have gay Jesus, and no one knows it. <laughs> Is this a true story, Martha?
1: I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer to
0: Because that. If, if it is, that is the most ironic thing that people are in church praying to bearded, white, long haired Jesus, but bearded, white, long haired Jesus was a gay guy. The thing that they do not want you coming to church for. So.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I cannot answer that question. Okay. For okay, you. okay. Damn. It. Um, I, I, I wish like. I could. Um, but I think that at the time they were just very curious. Of, he was very curious about a lot of things. Wow. okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, I just thought that was super interesting. Yeah. About half a billy
1: though. I know. 500 million.
0: That's insane. Some Saudi prince bought it.
1: Okay, and so talking about like that kind of art market, mm-hmm. um you know, there I have been trying to educate myself <laughs> more lately on statistics such as <laughs> um, female artists only make about 20, 2% of that. What like you- when you think about <clears throat> Sorry art sold over time Mm -hmm. um in those markets only two percent is by women artists so i think about things like that
0: is there a reason why art is male dominated
1: well i think some of it is um you know there weren't there were some but there weren't that many female painters back in the 1500s during da vinci um so you know when we look at the spectrum of time i think we have more men and, you know, even if you think about uh, Monet and Manet, I mean, there's so many women in that group, but we hear about Renoir and Degas. And we hear, you know, it's just even in the popular, um, I guess, like sparks of art history, um, you really have to dig for the woman. There's a lot out there. But um, I, I think that's reflected in the market and even to today.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Huh. It's, it's like everyone was represented... It's like no one is represented but white males throughout art history in a weird way. Throughout
1: life, right? I mean, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many like really awesome initiatives, like especially at the Portrait Gallery too, where I know they're specifically trying to feature uh, anyone of like a cultural heritage.
1: Yeah. Or we have the National Museum of Women in the Arts here in DC, who also spews out a lot of those facts and does a phenomenal job uh, representing women. They do. They
0: have have some great exhibitions go through there.
1: They do. Yeah they do
0: really enjoy that yeah so so you were in italy and you were paying to work at an art gallery yeah
1: Uh, well no in the museum so i worked in three museums i worked in the bargello which is the national sculpture Mm -hmm. museum uh they've got a lot of donatello michelangelo and other contemporaries um i worked in the medici chapels which is um also, where Michelangelo has a very famous sacristy with multiple projects that are all unfinished but very uh, famous, and then I worked in Casa Martelli, and they're all—it's funny, funnily enough—now under the same direction, they were separate places places then Mm -hmm. um which the martelli family was another family of uh bankers that were big art patrons wow and their private home is now a house museum and i helped (sighs) them get that up and do public relations for it and tours and cool stuff
0: so why did you leave Italy? like why did you leave all of that and not just live that dream of just living in italy
1: yeah um I, I wanted to do a master's and I knew I needed to f- actually find a job because my pay was in bars still True. after all that time. Um, so I, I wanted to actually be working in the field. And I realized after some time that um, I didn't really want to be a Renaissance scholar anymore. Instead, I wanted to be more practical and, mm-hmm. and, and hands on. And so curating really called to me. And so I looked for a master's where curating would be covered. And I found one in Barcelona. So I went to Barcelona. That
0: sounds so nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was so... like, okay, I think it's time to leave.
0: Wow. And so then you yeah. spent some time in Barcelona. Yeah. Eating tapas. He
1: spent, uh, yeah, a year and a half there. <laughs>
0: a lot of anchovies.
1: Oh my God, I can't stand anchovies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one time I went to Barcelona, mm-hmm. and I remember we got like a tapas platter and there were anchovies on there and i ate them they weren't
1: bad they're not yeah i can't i can't do anchovies yeah there's a lot of seasoning and oil on it so it kind of helped you know yeah but lots of vermouth Mm. they have cool vermouth bars in barcelona and Man, there was such a like underground scene. There were a lot of like this is when like VJ was first coming out and like VJ oh, VJing, uh, video DJing.
0: Oh, 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 wow.
1: Oh yeah, like just lots of cool like little hubs that you'd pack kind of like um, you know, like and have all these different things and there was such an underground mm. vibe and um, oh, so funny enough, I want to talk about Gustafelstein.
0: Oh, I love Gustafelstein.
1: Because <laughs> when you put that up, I was like, whoa, is this is a DC human who knows this guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. What, what do you want to talk about him? I can talk about anything. About
1: well, I just think it's really cool that you like him. Did you go to his concert at the anthem?
0: Uh, I didn't. Uh, sadly, I didn't. Did you?
1: I did. Ooh, how was it? It was really good. Now, he has evolved.
0: Really, he's yeah. not just doing the industrial house anymore. Like it's
1: no, no. So same music, but like performance-wise, he's Ooh. evolved.
0: He's not just DJing.
1: No. So, and this is like what I think is so cool when you think about like an artist in in an artist brand. So he was like really big in Paris when I was like you know working in bars and stuff in Florence. There was like this really cool underground art scene, and we had this really neat um, club where they'd have guest DJs, and he came. And so that's when everybody in Italy kind of, like, discovered him, I think, is oh. when he came to this club. And um, then I saw him when I was in Barcelona at Sonar. Wow. Sonar is, like, a really big electronic music festival where a lot of VJs debuted as well. And it's, like, three days and three nights. And it's just throughout, like, five different arenas. And there you just, like walk for miles and miles and there are different stages and wow. like all of this programming and Brodinsky yeah I know, and gestapelstein Bur- yeah. were like a, a duo at the time and they had like a separate thing at sonar and um he used to wear this like white um button up and like a uh like a blazer Oh. And he'd like chain smoke. And yeah, he'd that like, was like he'd doing he did all this yeah. stuff he had like and like this
0: cool vibe of yeah. like in the in the in the shirt and the cigs. Like he it was, was like uh, so
1: performative and like every time a beat dropped, like he'd just like. Do some really cool shit. I don't know. He was just like mesmerizing to watch.
0: Yeah, like he's so cool looking. Like you feel like his vibe is so cool that anything he does, it just has to be on that level. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just like, is this what Paris is like? I mean, this is really cool. And it, like,
0: that's like the embodiment of like a Paris underground music scene, like in, in a person, you're just like, God.
1: totally, totally. Uh, Now he uh, wears like this silicon suit what yes and it's like black but like silvery at the same time and like shiny and um super dorky of me but like it kind of reminds me of like donatello's david i'll send you a picture later you can make a of Whoa. like this like bronze statuey new age thing and he goes up there and he barely moves Whoa. and like what was cool was the lights and, like, the lights were dramatic and kind of doing all of these movements that parallel his his sound um, the way that he used to. But he was very um, silicon.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Do you think he, wore, like, choose to wear that so that... Like from the audience perspective, when you look at him, you're kinda like, Whoa, what's going on there? Like, I
1: think it's his whole new vibe. I think it's mm. a it's a rebrand. It's like the only photos I've seen lately and yeah. That's
0: so interesting. Yeah. yeah I was so jealous about that I could make that show. I, I saw Dead Mouse there in November. Oh they're awesome. That that was incredible. I mean, his live setup <clears throat> was insane. Yeah, it, I'm he had this sure. he had this cube and the cube spun <gasps> and like it would like yes! tilt forward. And like like literally, I was sitting there and I, and I remember someone in the audience passed me a joint, so that helped everything. <laughs> and I remember I was and we I was sitting in the center, like in the center, like the best spot. And I was just sitting there like with my jaw open, just like, what the fuck am I looking at? I like,
1: totally forgot about the cube. He did the cube when yeah. here at Sonar too, man. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Super cool, man.
0: I would have loved to have seen him back then though. Like now it's like old Dead Mouse. Like yeah. I would have loved to see like Prime sonar dead mouse. That would have Man. been a whole different experience.
1: Sonar, I, I feel like I found so many cool bands that like so cool i on. still still follow okay so i have a huge obsess obsession with budaca som sistema do you know who they are i
0: don't even know what you just said <laughs> <Who is that? laughs>
1: they're a band from lisbon um but like one of the guys is from angola and the girl is from brazil and now they're all doing their own solo thing oh. but they used to go to sonar almost every year and they're like this and they, they came once to u street music hall um, whoa, like years ago, probably in like 2010 or something like that. But, but I believe that they're super cool. I can send you a link to them. That'd be
0: cool. Yeah, please do. I feel like U Street is one of those venues that has amazing artists before they're amazing artists, like before way you know. before,
1: way before. Like, yeah. I've totally gone to see Brodinsky there a few times, I've seen Budaka there, Machine mm-hmm. Drum. Um, but oh. you know, they also do like the Mombathon um which is like from dc
0: oh yeah uh mumbatone uh, Mom, Mom, is it mumbatone
1: wait mumbatone oh shit wait wait i should know <laughs> I've this <been> i should been mamba time for years no it's mumbatone yeah Fuck, it's like oh. reggaeton but mumbatone mo- anyway i love it yeah i love it too and even though like those nights are always 18 plus and i'm like oh god oh. do i really want to do this and then i'm usually like yes i do yeah
0: dave nada <laughs> he's from this area right <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: i love that music oh it's it's like it's
0: a reggaeton meets like just like the swag of everything else it's so (gasps) nice
1: and i'm like a reggaeton queen are you oh i like i i I have two beats either like meditative music and it's very quiet and chill Mm -hmm. or it's reggaeton wow and it's like super loud and vulgar and
0: I mean, reggaeton's amazing. I, I, I love reggaeton. I remember growing up. I used to act way more Hispanic than I than I think I was. And we, I'd go to like <laughs> La Mega Fest up at Meriwether Post civilian. and like I, I can, it's like La Mega. Like just just Hispanic announcers are just <laughs> insane. La Mega Fest, cumbia, dun, 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 dun. Like that shit just. Oh my god! And you, you, everyone would like wear their flags and like their like Puerto Rico jerseys and shit. Oh my god! I love it. Yeah, I, I love it. Are you Hispanic or Italian? No, What's I'm not. Your... No,
1: my father's Austrian. My mom's from here. Yeah, because you're um, very fair
0: skinned Yeah, blue no, no, eyes. No, not either hair. of
1: those. But um, I yeah, I've been trying to figure out why, um, why Italy, and then why like not just Spain, but like mm-hmm. Latin cultures in general. And I, I had a, um, I don't know. But I have been, I have a lot of, like, Latina in my blood. I don't know where the fuck it came from. By, by association. It's there. It's there yeah. by association. You spend yeah. enough time. I mean,
0: those places are just, like, sexy. Like the cultures are so, like, smooth and suave and, like, so stylized. It's different than a lot of other places. Like, there's, like, the cultures have swag built in them.
1: They do. They do. And the language, I just feel, is so passionate like mm. um sometimes i feel like i can explain myself better in italian than i can in english just because really? i feel like english is so like walk aroundy sometimes is. Like, yeah i
0: love when languages have like specific words for a feeling yeah like they'll be like it's just the feeling that you feel when your mom died but you have to deal with something on a saturday <laughs> and, you're like, and it's and this that, word yeah. yeah and it's like what the <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i like i yeah i don't know it's like i i create these like little worlds for myself because um, I talk to myself in Italian.
0: Oh, that's your inner monologue voice? Yeah. That's so interesting. I've yeah. always thought about that. Like, yeah. what are, if people who are like bilingual or trilingual, maybe like yourself, like yeah. what your inner voice is? Yeah.
1: I dream in Italian. I mean, I dream in Spanish too and in English, but I talk to myself in Italian.
0: So you're trilingual. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Way smarter than me then.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My Spanish isn't like perfect. Um,. People tell me I have a weird um, accent. Yeah, makes sense. I don't care. Um, I was learning Spanish while I was doing my master's. So I kind of picked and choosed what words in vocabulary served me best at the time. And that was...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I remember I took a French course in college and I used Spanish the past most of it. Yeah. It was was, was such bullshit.
1: Yeah. You know, I had this really um, cool moment in Italy, like with Italian, I was very grammatic and Mm. I was very studious and I was like, I'm gonna get this right. And I'm gonna perfect the Florentine like Mm. dialect and like fool people and like seem like I'm from here. I was like so into that. Um, But I had a few Brazilian friends in Florence and I noticed that there was like this common thing Throughout all of them. And I'm not saying this is for all Brazilians, but it's definitely for every Brazilian. And I'm going to say that I'm on like 60 of them by now that I've met in Italy. And then again, I saw it in Spain. It's a good sample size. Yeah. I think it's a fair sample size for one person. Um, They had this amazing freedom of attempting to speak either spanish or italian but when they didn't know the word that they needed in either or how to conjugate it they would just kind of slip portuguese in there Interesting. and like expect that you just kind of understood it was close enough whoa and so i remember i mean simple things like being in restaurants and one of my best friends would like say something and i'd kind of go well that's incorrect he might not have understood mm-hmm. and the person would say you know like i'm not really understanding and she'd kind of go and like repeat it again
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like,
0: oh you get it now i think i got it now
1: and we would always laugh and kind of go okay i think um, it's because those
0: languages are like they're they similar are in a way
1: so similar um but that helped me because when I got to Spain, I was like, you know what? When I don't know the word, I'm just going to say it in Italian. And if you can't figure it out, then maybe that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But it's a good freedom, you know, because I think that you can, at least for me, I can become such a perfectionist. Yeah. That you really try. And when you're in a country that you don't know and you're like, you need help or you just like...
0: Yeah, it's got to be wild to have just gone to these places by yourself as like a the most American oh, yeah. looking, like you look like you're American, like you're not fooling anyone. It's like some people look at you and then you start speaking Italian or or whatever it is. It must be like, what? Like, what, what's going on here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, and you, you want to get it right, you know, and you can really criticize yourself on that. It was really nice to have the permission and be like, yeah. I really don't know the word I'm trying to say. So, do you speak another language rather than trying to uh, over adapt? So, you know?
0: so when did you come back? Like, when did you you went from Italy and then Barcelona? Like, when did you come back, and why did you come back? I
1: came back. Um, I came back because I was so I was working at the Antony Tapias Foundation, which is a really um important he's an important contemporary painter from Barcelona. He died okay. in 2012. And um I was working there and he's also one of the painters in my genealogical tree. Like I I love his work and I'm dedicated but I was working in the archives there. Mm-hmm. And um I was finishing my masters which required since it was curatorial and like contemporary art history and one um you know, if I was just doing a master's in art history, I would have to do some kind of thesis. That's a research project, right? Um, but for us, we had to do that thesis, which was the catalog for also an exhibition we were building. So mm-hmm. we also had to do like the oh, promotional materials and the budget and the timeline and and all the works of art and the inventory of works of art and and everything else. Um, so it's kind of like a twofold. Mm-hmm. And I was proposing my final project to be a show for the institution there. And I was working with them to get a contract to do that. Wow. And that's when the European crisis really hit and hit all of the arts. What's that? What's the European This was crisis? in 2000. Um, yeah. 2000. Like end of 2012. <coughs> 2013. 2012. Wow. Um, so. There at that foundation, some of the people that I worked under lost their jobs. They had to completely cut back. They had to cut back a lot of their contracts, mine included.
0: What was the crisis?
1: Uh, It was just with the economy in Europe in general. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and, you know, obviously Spain.
0: Yeah, ours are definitely the first to be cut whenever there's an economic downturn.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is when I think Spain, Portugal, and Greece were treading in last place as far as the crisis went. Wow and um so i thought okay i i could stay here in spain but um i don't think i'm gonna find any work and i knew i wasn't gonna find any work the same thing was happening in italy and so i happened to see this in at the national gallery here and so i just applied and like reached out and it happened so i was like okay um maybe i need to do this
0: yeah timing it's like sometimes timing is everything like it's just it's like the perfect things sometimes tend to happen in life
1: i know it was really weird i can't remember who sent it to me but someone sent it to me and i i wasn't planning to come home and i just was like well i mean and what it was it was um archiving a collection of um uh um what was it It it's like a a european collector who had a lot of renaissance works and i kind of Decided I didn't want to do Renaissance anymore, but it was like a safe, mm. safe option. Um, and I thought, well, I, I know, I know how to do this. I'd be good at this. Yeah. So.
0: Perfect timing.
1: Just kind of followed it. Wow. Yeah. It's so
0: interesting. Like you're like overqualified. Like you're so qualified to do what you do. I feel like I, I've met people who are not qualified at all. And they're, st- they're like, they're trying to start a gallery or whatever it might be. Like Well, they you-
1: should. No, you should. No, you yeah. should. You should.
0: But do you think you needed all of that to do what you do now? Like, do you think like that was necessary? Like, do you think you,
1: I think for me, yeah. Okay. I mean, um, what I can provide is so much more than just, um, placemaking. Mm. And I know that. And, um, you know, I have languages, I have actual institutional knowledge and I know I can see from grassroots to institutional mm. and I can see those paths and navigate them clearly. Um, and I have a lot of uh, worldly experience because of that. But I don't yeah. think that that makes me or Latella any better than the next person who wants to start up something. I think it's just a different vibe. And, and my vibe is wholeheartedly all of that combined. And yeah. I think I wanted all of those things in my toolbox mm. um, for myself, too. I mean, selfishly for, for myself. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it's crazy how our, ex- our, our past experiences always coalesce into our future endeavors. Like they somehow yeah. always make sense in, in what you do if you're kind of following what you, what you want to do.
1: They do, and I see that a lot now. Is sometimes I go, right. "Whoa, so that is so fucking a line!" Like, how did I know that then? Right? Like, or how did I know to make that decision then? And and I knew it was the right thing to do, but I didn't really know why. But I did it, and here we are. And I'm seeing that a lot lately, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, like I see that even with myself. Like even like this whole podcast and everything. Like I went to school for audio engineering. I had a radio show in college. I did not think about doing any of this back then. But then when the idea kind of started, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I actually know how to do all I these have things. These tools. Yeah, I have yeah. all the tools. I have the know-how. And it made it so much easier. And it's like why it sounds good. That's why it's like a decent conversation. Because I've had tons of shitty interviews in college.
1: Like you were able to pan that out. And, and wait, where did you go to school?
0: ODU, Old Dominion University. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up in Virginia Beach. Cool. Yeah.
1: Close enough. Yeah, I mean, I three, feel like I know hours a away. lot of people who went there.
0: Yeah, I don't ever I've never been back since I left and I'm going to keep it that way. I, yeah. don't, I don't ever want to go back up to that area. It's just <laughs> nothing there. <laughs> nothing there, but but it was cool. It was like those things that at the time felt so right now help me in my in the future. Like They're it's just
1: integral, yeah. Right?
0: Like it's so crazy how things just come full circle and you don't you don't see it at the time, but in hindsight everything's 2020.
1: Yeah, and so that's something I encourage when I work with artists um is like journal and kind of go back and pick up all of the fossil fuels of every decision you've ever made because ooh. there are patterns there yeah there are very clear patterns and i think that we make very similar decisions time and time again based on who we are uh, like so you don't always know what that is oh yeah
0: damn yeah. But you're pretty invested in helping artists find their voice. Though. I saw yeah. that you even offer like classes and stuff on that.
1: Yeah. So that kind of came around in a weird way. Um, yeah. Artists had a lot of questions. And so I thought, okay, but first we should make like a consultation setup because mm-hmm. you can't just, I can't sit around all day helping people for free either. You can't just I, DM you all day. Yeah. Or like when I'm working three do- jobs trying to make this work, like I can't just sit around. So Um, that became something that I built at first. And then I realized, um, there weren't specific questions. It was the whole mind mapping that artists wanted to figure out in one consultation that was like, I don't know if I should be applying to galleries or to grants or working with interior designers or working with developers, or should I get into murals or should I make prints of my work or should I like, and I was like, Oh my God, you know, there's, there are so many channels. Yeah. And you can't just say, hey, do this, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much to unpack and so much work to be done. And um, so Megan and I um, decided to make a course and fuel in all of the practical knowledge that we knew. So we went through, she has a master's in um, arts administration. And we went through both of our master's and we just picked apart all of the material that could be relevant and put it in one course.
0: What are some of like the most practical, like obvious tips you always give them? Like what are the biggest things they always ask you? Uh,
1: For fine artists, it's building a catalog. Um, So many artists come to me and they're like, Hey, why didn't you put my work or like, how can I get my work into your next show mm-hmm. and i'm like send me your catalog and they're like what is that
0: what, what, actually what is that
1: yeah it's it's like a it's like a pdf that has a thumbnail of you know this painting mm-hmm. with this information next to it and then this painting with the name title dimension and price point next to it so that i can flip through very easily and be able to propose because when we're proposing we propose multiple looks especially when we have a client who's buying Um, we're proposing multiple looks that fit a space and fit a budget Mm. and so it's very practical and if I can't get a sense of how many works you have in your inventory like have you only made this piece oh yeah or do you have like 10 off the bat that we could do a show. Yeah. You know, like, what does your practice actually look like? Yeah, what what does it encompass? Like, how
0: deep is your work? Can I
1: see a streamline, you know? And I need to know how big they are logistically for fitting into any type of space, whether I want to create, you know, potentially create a show. I just need to, I need to see it there. Mm. And a lot of artists don't know that and they don't have the administrative skill set to make that. And it's super simple. There's no one format. It's just... Just
0: put it in an online document. Yeah, I mean, it's an
1: inventory the same way if you had a clothing line, you'd know how many large t-shirts you're printing versus extra large in red versus white.
0: So saying just look at your Instagram is not enough. It has to be some sort of dedicated thing.
1: No, because if I'm scrolling through your Instagram, I don't know if you've sold that work already. So now I need to do all this work to like see... What's sold or like how big is that? Or you don't see the, say the price points. So and I still don't know if it's in the right range of my client. Oh, so now I have to ask you okay. all of these questions. So the
0: catalog is this like detailed thing about each work that you've created, I guess, ever, or just what you're showing. And it's like that way you kind of get more of a grasp of like, you can see how they, how they're thinking, how they've developed. You can yeah. see how they their range, You can see their price points and stuff like that.
1: Think about it like this, right? I come in here and I want to see this show. There's a panel up there that says solo exhibition by the name of the artist with a statement about this work of art. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's every piece up I can see clearly that has a label with its title mixed media collage and acrylic paint on canvas. So I'm like, okay, this might not need to be framed because it's on canvas. Yeah. 36 by 48 inches and it's twelve hundred bucks. That gives me all the information I need to know. So if I have a PDF where I see that description and I can read quickly, okay, what is this actually about, right? Mm. How can I even help this artist go deeper if we're curating a show? Or how can I plop one of these into my client proposals if I'm going to sell them? I need to know, you know, how to present it.
0: I see what you're saying. so if
1: I can see on a PDF as clearly as the user experiences in here is what I need.
0: Ah, it's almost like a pitch deck, but for like your own stuff as an artist, like it's almost like, it's not, it's, it's a resume, but it's not, but it's, it's, it's that official document that if someone's like, yo, Marta, how do I get in? And like, they're actually not just trying to take a few for what you want. Like, oh yeah, send me your catalog.
1: (laughs) Yeah, what? what are you doing? Like oh, I've got an Instagram it's like, dude, I'm not going to spend all day picking through your Instagram. Like I can't I don't oh. have time for that. But if I have your catalog, then I can understand within 5 seconds exactly. Makes so much what, sense. What you've got and I will keep it in mind much easier than remembering something that I might or might not have saved in Instagram months ago what, I scroll like, and find <laughs> like, you know what I yeah, mean yeah
0: look at my exhibition it's like a few months if you scroll down it's just just scroll like a few pages you'll find it
1: yeah I can't
0: it's like yeah you don't want to give anyone more work what's a, what's like another big thing that they always ask you
1: um I think another big thing is not that they ask me but that I see is I think that a lot of artists pick one artist that they really like and they try to make work that like looks like their style Wait, can but I, can doesn't. i call
0: someone out on that point everyone who copies basquiat stop it <laughs> stop it i need you all to stop it because it, it, we everyone sees it okay stop it all right i love basquiat i love basquiat too but I, so I see dumb. it imitated so much and, yeah. it, and it bothers me to no end
1: yeah i think that um there is a i have seen a very clear difference between the amateur artist and scholar scholar artist and the difference Mm. is that the scholar knows i think i said earlier my genealogical tree Mm. um i'm very aware of the history that comes before me as an artist i'm aware and it doesn't mean i need to know everything and it doesn't mean because i have a background as an art historian although that very much helps i don't draw my own lineage all the way back to the 1500s yeah
2: Um,
1: but the artists who Um, inspire me conceptually and stylistically i have studied and i'm trying constantly trying to understand why i'm attracted to them and why i want to reproduce an energy that is either in conversation with them or um, parallel to them in some way and i think i feel that the amateur artist um Only sees one thing and wants to make it their own versus someone who um, can identify multiple points in their experience where they pull, like actively pull from inspiration and remix.
0: I see. And there's a difference there
1: whether you are remixing or you are copying Mm. because we all copy ideas, we're all inspired by multiple channels. But how do you pull those channels in and make sense of them and then add your um, own spin on it versus um, seeing this? So this artist, you know, seems to be doing really well. I want to show an arm and I really like this. So let me go ahead and just like use a different terrorist and like maybe do it a little bit differently. But I'm going to kind of do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot. and So I encourage those artists. Okay. Clearly this artist inspired something in you, but you've got to get deeper.
0: So it's, is it that you shouldn't be so influenced by who you look up to? Or is it also that like artists should have some knowledge of the people before them?
1: I think it's a mix. I think it's a very steady balance of, you know, they say, for example, if I was only inspired by Picasso And I only made work that looked like Picasso, then I'm a contemporary Picasso copyist. Oh, wow. Now I can be a really good contemporary Picasso copyist. Yeah. I could go to the National Gallery every day and register as a copyist and sit up there and make Picasso works that are mine for the rest of my life studying Picasso. Wow. That's a cool thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But my voice is totally through Mm. the voice and style. Of Picasso, not myself. Um, I think that when you are looking to find your own voice, you should be focusing on your voice and not the style that comes out of it.
0: Like the depth of the inspiration.
1: Like what is your message versus what your work looks like? And I see a lot of artists try to control how their work looks in comparison to what they like that they want to make something similar to. Rather Um. than being fully true to themselves and thinking about, well, what am I communicating and how well do I know my materials and the people who communicated before me that I'm inspired by Mm -hmm. to take all of that information and become an actual vessel and channel that can enter conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, if you think about the history of art, they're all stories. And so that's starting to give something to talk about.
0: You're saying that all the, major pieces in history of art they all tend to be based off stories or
1: well like we are studying and we are breaking down these stories of those artists because they have a lot conceptually to talk about Mm. and if i'm just interested in what this artist made and to make something similar there's not that much of a story in there
0: oh so you're saying it's like you want to have a unique voice like you want to have a unique style You have to
1: have your voice it's just like developing any other brand Is the voice.
0: I think in a lot of ways, a lot of that does start from copying someone or being heavily inspired by someone. Totally. Yeah.
1: Totally. But I guess what I'm saying is expand how many people Mm. and really create this like multiple ingredient. Not too many, but, you know, really interesting remix. It's yours because you're a product of these few um, cards that you have in your hand. Plus your own experiences that you bring in meet to the table.
0: Yeah, it's the experiences that are always unique. What make it interesting? Like someone could copy your exact story, but it's the unique experiences you had along the way is what made it so important. Right. Yeah. And, right. And, and just even using Basquiat as an example, like if you look at his work, he was clearly inspired by a lot of big painters and a oh, lot of different sure. sources. Like you can identify so many points in his work. It's like, Oh, this was his interpretation of the Mona Lisa. This was that, this was his Monet interpretation. Like, like right. he, he knew a lot surprisingly ab- about art like he was yeah. very deep in that knowledge yeah i don't know i just i just thought that was really interesting like now looking at all these documentaries of him and people will start to like break down and they'll compare the pictures uh and and you're just like whoa like this guy was he wasn't just some willy-nilly like artist he was he he knew his shit yeah and yeah. i think i think there's a lot of value in that
1: i think so too i think that you I don't, I think it's a little naive to expect that people will want to talk about you and tell stories about you if you don't really understand who your ancestors are and where you need to know where the, the, the contemporary current is and why it's there to exist in it in a Mm. way, you know, and even Basquiat as a great example, knew that he was very aware of that. Um, and because of that, he was able to have a voice to speak about that. Yeah you know? Um, so yeah, I think that you need to have a mix of, of knowledge. I, th- I think that your work can only go deeper if you study your teachers. Mm. Um, and so if you're inspired by someone, I would, I would utilize that opportunity for curiosity. That's all.
0: One of my favorite quotes is by Picasso and it's bad artists copy, great artists steal. Yeah. I love that.
1: But that's the thing is it's it's so similar to that is why would I sit up here and copy verbatim Picasso when I could steal an element from him? Exactly. And steal an element from Basquiat and understand and be able to articulate why I'm stealing this from Picasso and not the next thing from Picasso mm. and why I'm stealing this from Basquiat. And I'm starting to then, I'm in control of my narrative, right? That's very different than, oh, like, Picasso seemed to do really great things, and I like that, so I'm going to do the same thing, too. Oh, it's not a very good story. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like,
0: like You're like, oh, I love the way he would paint his red hues in the corners, right. so so I stole that from him, and then I love right. the way. Yeah, I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, that makes so much and sense. Especially to remix. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you have a, a specific artist that is, like, your all-time?
1: Um, Even if it's
0: always changing, is there one, like, right now that you're, like, that that's like my favorite i
1: have i have a few i mean Anthony tapias is a big all-time for me but um lately i have watched over and over again um well actually basket funnily enough has come back into my life um oh, wow. but uh i'm really big into robert motherwell right okay. now um he does a lot of um Large paintings. There's one in the National Gallery of Art. They're white and black, and they're very monochromatic and big and meditative. I can send you a photo. Yeah. Um, and but Louise Bourgeois. I'm not good at French, but I'm pretty sure it's Bourgeois. Bourgeois. Um, or bourgeois. I <sighs> 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 uh, know. French is. <sighs> um, but she's the artist who did all of those big spider um sculptures there's one outside of the guggenheim and bill oh there's one in the sculpture garden in in the national gallery of art
0: is it blue it's like a red or blue right it's one that's like a big steel spider i
1: don't think it's a color
0: okay never mind that i don't know it's just like
1: a big ass spider
0: why do you like her spider so much
1: actually i don't really like the spiders i like i like her mm. i there's an awesome documentary called the mistress the spider and the tangerine or the spider the mistress and the tangerine those three in mm. some kind of combination um and she's so um unapologetic about um her process and making art just to make art and um I just I find a lot of permission in watching her give herself permission, wow. and I think as a female artist um it's powerful, yeah. it's really dope um yeah, I wish I could um think of something off the top of my head, but she just um,
0: yeah, no, I know I get what you're saying it's like it's like just her as a person like you're just inspired by it, it all it's like yeah that's exactly what I was asking it's like she's it's just, just these like people who. You're fascinated by it.
1: Yeah. And she just claims so much presence. Mm. And, um, you know, I think as a, it's funny, even in this interview, like you've asked me a few questions where I have given you a logistical answer. And then I kind of say, but my heart knew something else, you know, when mm. I went to Italy, when I went to Spain, when I left the national gallery, like there's always this, um, pulse in you that's telling you actually what your purpose is and what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I think it's really scary in a societal world that, you know, is saying regular jobs and retirement plans and get married and, you know, do all of these right things. Yeah. Um, you know, there's only one way to kind of come out and say, well, I don't want to do any of those things. And I actually don't value a lot of those things in my day to day existence, right? Like I just would prefer to curate a different lifestyle. Um, and I think that um, for a woman to be uh, expressionistic and like fully in her feelings, um, society's still not ready for that. We're warming up to it, but still not ready for that. We don't really like to see a radical woman in her rapture. Hmm, what and, do you mean?
0: What do you mean like a woman fully expressing herself?
1: Like I think um, fully in power. You know, and just doing what she fully wants to do. Like I whatever that might be, whether it's yeah. like
0: a picture of yourself, just like covering your nipple on Instagram or like, or, or whatever it might be. Just
1: whatever it might be. You I wanna, mean,
0: just, just feeling empowered and like not needing permission to do that. To do anything. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I've, I've definitely, uh, shied away from certain, um, immediate impulses to just be an artist or to just, um, you know, sh- share this poem or even like, uh, you know, a lot of my painting practice, I would never even, um, like film. I got in, my friend pushed me this summer to to just set up your phone and like film yourself as you're painting. Yeah. And it was so uncomfortable for me because we've been trained to, uh, not be so vain right oh i guess, and, yeah, I like, guess you can see like, it like that so yeah. weird to me yeah um to to utilize these tools to be like look at me look at what i'm making and it fucking matters that right is, that
0: is a weird transition it's like not an make. impulse yeah. for me yeah
1: and so when i see this woman who's like no damn it like it matters it's like wow i mean what permission yeah. i don't know i'm addicted like, do to it. it who
0: cares what people think if you want to film yourself creating this piece do it because it's if doing it in silence is great but if that little bit helps you it's like then then do it because it's important to oh my god it's, it's so important to to put yourself out there not just be in a basement painting and, and not telling people about it
1: wholeheartedly out there yeah. you know with with no um second guessing and I've got to say it's like every time I do it it's really liberating and I get this like taste so I did this um series of so a friend artist of mine Annie Broderick who mm-hmm. is so cool um soulmate in so many ways um I told her I was like I have this idea for a series where I want to do a meditation per chakra do you know chakras? They're You're going to have to explain this to me. Energy points along your spine.
0: There's 13?
1: Uh there there are different theories. There are seven main ones. Okay, then um, I clearly know nothing. So, um I wanted to do one for each of the seven. Oh. Um after a transformative summer for myself, I picked a song per chakra. And so she came into my studio with me and we did a meditation for each chakra and then I put on the song that for me fit that chakra. So each chakra, like, you know, there's your heart, your, your throat, that's your communication, your third eye, your intuition. So they're, they're different themes. Um, a song that kind of connected for me for each one. Um, the idea is that you're fully yourself when you're aligned in all of those. Um, and I filmed each one and I've been slowly releasing them and that is so, Vulnerable for yeah. me because it's not really about the works I made. It was about giving myself the moment of like pure alignment and then expression. Mm. And you know, when you—that's something I would have always kept. So, private. so, you, so
0: you would do the session for that one chakra, and then, and then after that session, you would start creating.
1: And, yeah, and put on so, whatever
0: music you felt was that you, yeah, you were feeling at that. Point.
1: I already had my playlist. And um, and so and I already had the meditations lined up, and so we would do. And we started at the root, and we worked up. Wow! And so we did a root chakra meditation, and then I put on my root chakra song. And in the duration of that song was when we could create. Oh, only when in the duration the song of that song. Finished. Whoa! Paint down. That's crazy. And then moved the piece, got another piece out. Okay, next chakra oh i see so you kind of did
0: it all together 10
1: hours Wow. it was like it was crazy
0: so you were painting to reggaeton songs for like 10 hours
1: only (laughs) one song was a reggaeton song (laughs) but yeah i mean like but i guess that for me is a really good example because that's something i would have never shared i would have shared Mm. maybe like a progress pick you know sitting over a piece and then i would have maybe shared the final maybe not Um, and to share the process in its raw state, whatever comes out of it, doesn't matter what it comes out. You know, it doesn't matter what, what the product is. We are recording now the value of the practice. Um, well, the
0: process seems almost more important. Like hearing, hearing the run up makes you value the pieces more because if you just put that piece up right here, I'd be like, okay, but if I hear that beautiful story, you're like, Oh whoa! Like this, and then maybe you even like heard the
1: song, song while you're looking maybe, at it, and then like why that song, and then you know there's just so much more story to it. Um, but now I'm addicted to it because it's like it's showing the process. Now. Yeah, because I've I've let it go, and I just don't even care. I, I haven't even looked at some of the videos. It's like documenting. It's it like okay, it's done, and yeah. and it's just out there, and um, I think. I think that that's really cool.
0: I think it's so cool. I think it's important to document yeah. your process as an artist. I know so many artists. I tell them like all the time, like, guys, I'm like, please just set up a camera and put it on YouTube. You never know what can happen. Just just do it you because just you just don't know where it can happen. You don't know who it can inspire. You don't know anything about the effects of it afterwards.
1: Yeah. And also... Um... I don't know. I think that there's something important about archiving the moment and the energy. And and for me, I feel like my material is myself and my energy way more than a paint I buy or mix. You know, that's just one ingredient. And so how do you capture all of the materials? Um, I don't know. That's something that I'm kind of, I'm using my archiving skill set to archive my life somehow no
0: i think that's so cool and i think it's so important for 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 any artist to do that because it's the pro- I, I love seeing the process sometimes more than the final painting Agreed. Like, i agree and i
1: like my process sometimes more than the final painting yeah like i
0: like i would love to hear more about the process of like how he got all of this money and all this like yeah weird that's overseas the story. money and like and, and i met him and he was telling me about it and i was like you know what? i appreciate this this photo much more after hearing about your process oh and if i just ever looked at it and just walked by it
1: well and that's always going to be the case Mm -hmm. always and those are the layers that i think we need to constantly pull back and on the artist side those are the layers that we need to keep diving into and it's from that personally from that opening that uh, other ideas keep flushing in and so it's kind of like this continuous um yeah like like um so I'm reading this book, um, Women Who Run With the Wolves, mm. and she talks about um, you're kind of this archaeologist of your life and you're like digging for all of these bones and like collecting all of these patterns. Kind of like we talked about before, like the the bone, like the... What did I say? I said it so poetically before. <laughs> collecting the bones like digging like up the bones of your <laughs> <laughs> yeah like just your your gut instinct yeah. uh decisions um you know, she talks about that too like how there's a purpose for all of that mm-hmm. and i think that when you walk through those portals as an artist or even just in your own self-development you kind of get closer kind of feels like mm. you get, like, I don't know, like in video games, like when I play, like, Crash Team Racing and I get, like, a, the coins. It's like what the, a reference. <laughs> I can't
0: believe you use Crash Bandicoot Racing as as an adventure MMO <laughs> like you reference. You get all these, oh like, coins. God.
1: It's awesome.
0: You could have said Final Fantasy or something like that?
1: No, no, no. I've only played uh, two video games in my life. What's the other one? Spyro.
0: You know what? Props on both of those games. Those are both amazing games. Yeah. 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 No, the, yeah. But the process. So shifting gears a little bit um what's your what is what is your opinion or your thoughts on the state of art in dc right now like mm. what is what do you see like
1: um
0: because if i can kind of start it and when i when yeah. i look at it from my perspective and i know you have a complete perspective i see a lot of artists trying to do events and a lot of artists really trying mm. to put themselves on and creating events whether or not they're great or not is, is one thing but the fact that they're trying I think Uh it's more important than anything. And I I feel like I see a lot more uh, just proactiveness in people trying to create experiences for someone to share. But also, you know, I was talking to Ian and He's over here talking about how space is the most important things for artists and and stuff like that. But just, like, the overall landscape on D.C. of art. Like, you've been here for longer than I have, I guess, five-plus years. And have you seen it evolve or change in a certain way? or?
1: I think it's becoming more sophisticated and I'm very excited um, to be here. I think that space is growing, Mm -hmm. which is really important. Um, Just in the last year, we've had a few new art galleries pop up. That's so important. Um, I think in a city where commercial real estate is so, so fucking expensive, uh, galleries are leaving. And a lot of galleries that used to exist no longer exist. Um, so, spaces including, and I mean, Ian has been a huge advocate in that with what he's doing with Culture House as well. Yeah. Um, that pretty much exists to give space um, to the arts. And um, I think that developers are becoming or at least where i have found a niche um more interested to realize that there are stories in their backyard that they can tell Mm -hmm. um and that are a win-win especially with so much gentrification that if they are um somewhat the uh, culprits of gentrification that at the very least their some of their decorative dollars can go to the local creative economy.
0: It's interesting. Yeah. Like letting them do their pop-up in before it's the leases are signed, like giving them some space for that temporary amount of time or something.
1: Yeah. Which I think can also have its dangerous effects because art is placemaking is not temporary. It should be a longer, if, if we're really doing it the right way, mm-hmm. um, we should be investing in a much longer amount of time. Um, however, um, I think that there are steps towards trying, and so, for example, we're working with an amazing developer on a residential project that's um, a VEC. It's a building that's opening. Actually, I think they opened this week on 8th Street. Oh, wow. And um, they um, sourced us, well, hired me to source all of the art and everything that I've selected as local artists.
0: Oh, yeah. I've been seeing that in your stories. I love watching mm-hmm. that.
1: Yeah. And so I'm, I think five years ago it would have been harder to pitch that it would have either been um all mass produce art from like fucking china or yeah. somewhere, or ikea
2: or, some or weird ikea place, yeah like...
1: yeah i mean i've had clients do that before well why don't you just buy these from ikea and i'm like why don't you buy them from IKEA? <laughs> why do i need what do you need me for yeah you know i'm happy to take your money but you're not helping me help anybody i want to help so what's the point
0: yeah What's the, yeah, what's the point of going to me if you're not going to support local or if, if that's not my mission or whatever it right, might
1: be? Right, Um. So, but I think on an individual art um, level, I think that um, not only is there more space, but I think in general the DIY and the build-it-yourself community in DC is expanding.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like the sentiment of being in a gallery is changing too. Like I, maybe it's just my perspective, but I feel like, a lot of especially now it's you you can kind of create your own event or your own pop-up and oh, put yeah. on your own shows to a point where you're kind of like do i really need this gallery to and represent me do i really need all a very fair question yeah
1: um i think that we need to also look at um the um i guess ecosystem of galleries that we have here in dc we have amazing nonprofits. So Transformer, Hamiltonian, I mean, those are really good places to get in and get a solo show. And I've told artists since day one, especially if they wanted a solo show or Hillier,
0: mm-hmm. for
1: example. Yeah, they're great. Um, they only do, I think that they they really want to focus on um, providing an artist with their first solo show ever. It's not it doesn't have to be, but they want, some type of space in between. If you've already had a solo show, I think it's something like three years before they do a solo for you. Oh,
0: wow. Um, I think they deal with a lot of international stuff at the Hillier.
1: They, it's like a mix. Okay. Um, but definitely, whenever an artist applied to a solo show at Latella, I would say you realize that you might be forfeiting Doing this at Hillier, when you could do that at Hillier, and then come to us. You know, I just want to make sure you know what's on the table. Is it, is it because
0: like... Hillier could help you in your career, like in, in an interesting way? Like, is that is that the reason for an artist want to be a part of these like nonprofit organizations or galleries? Is because that look for yourself as an established artist is is important.
1: I think it depends what you want. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I think
0: artists just want to sell their work and, 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 and get bigger and and get and make money and keep continuing what they want to do. Right. Yeah.
1: But selling your work depends on the audience of each gallery. Um, and sometimes you need a few shows stacked up before you have a value that someone might be that, that target audience of yours might be interested in. Mm. Um, and so Hillier could help put you on the map. Uh, same with transformer um you know these places have amazing um followers i mean transformer has been here for something like 17 years wow um but they also provide a stipend to exhibiting artists because they are a non-profit um and so it really depends on the artist's um goals and and their their um, immediate goals versus their like two to three year exhibiting goals. That's
0: something that doesn't get talked about much Is, is no. how is, is how, many, how much resources there are for artists. Right, being... There's
1: a lot and yeah. they've existed for quite some time. But I think that the issue is that um, we have a lot of um, like membership commercial galleries where That's artists need to pay to participate. And I really do not agree with that model. And I think it's really hard when artists are navigating D.C. There are like these few amazing nonprofits who exist to actually give you real opportunity and not to shit on commercial galleries because there are some amazing ones here. Of Everyone's course. Here like um, Hemp Hill, for example, but they're obviously a higher tier. They're selling works to the National <laughs> Gallery of Art, for example. Wow. Jesus. Um, and some things in between. But um, we do have, I think... Artists can easily look and take a peek and go, well, I don't want to pay to be in that if all I'm going to get is a show out of it. I could pay half of that price to do that show at the like rooftop of this cool bar where like more people uh are going to come. And so I understand that. And I think that when you have a shortage of um, institutional support and institutional options to help um, funnel then artists will always find their own way
0: is in a way are like galleries. And stuff, Is it almost like the record label? How like, like if it, to look at it like, like in a music terms, like artists, you could grow your fan base on Instagram or whatever it is, and you could probably do a show and it could probably be pretty successful. But by signing to a label, you can get catapulted and get help to get to the next level. Is that kind of where the gallery structure comes in? Usually.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. Um, the idea is to find a gallery that fits with you, that, can, that has the target audience, that is your target audience, so that they can sell work for you and therefore escalate your brand um, to become supportive long term, too. Mm. And the idea is to get to a point where they are kind of commissioning you. To make sure that you are um, producing. where You know, it's a risk. When we talk about the representation model, it's as much as a risk on the gallery's side as it is on the artist's. Because, you know, and this is why we never did representation. We were too young. I mean, maybe one day I would. But um, if, theoretically, I were, (laughs) I'm asking you to sign a contract where I am um, endorsing you.
0: Yeah, you put name on it. And
1: what if you start creating shit?
0: oh that's so true
1: you know and i've promised you you know for the next three years i'm going to give you solo show a year and you don't make anything new Ooh. i'm not going to put the same shit up twice so it's like you a, know the like
0: representation but the representation seems like further down someone's career like absolutely. that seems like when you have are semi-established you've sold some work and you people know you can sell so it's like a guaranteed bet i feel like it's, i think
1: so too i think so too and there's a that also is a tricky balance because you don't want to keep making the same mundane stuff from one formula.
0: True. But
1: you don't want to take so many risks that you worry your gallerist.
0: Yeah, I could see as an artist how <laughs> all of a sudden that gets tricky about creating. Yeah, it's
1: like... yeah. so it's a relationship. Oh. And the galleries that can re- who who are asking representation that can truly help with that are looking for artists that um, are going to meet them halfway in that partnership and have already invested so much time and wisdom and money and materials in their career to um, do the walk with their talk, you know? And I think that here um, we have, you know, I'm, I'm pretty critical of the pay membership gallery yeah Um, i
0: i think it's weird that you have to pay to be a part of something and then you get like one show every few years
1: well and not only that usually what's um promised is like a solo show and then a few group shows Mm -hmm. or you know maybe a few shows of you know three artists from the collective will be in this and what's you know kind of great is that well if you have like 20 artists and they're all supportive of one another then like you already have a good amount of people at your opening, you know, like it's kind of superficial in that sense, Mm. in my opinion. Um, But also um, as a curator, I think that it risks and I have seen and I feel that those galleries aren't well curated because if I'm, if I'm the businesswoman. And I know I need five artists to pay all my bills. You're
0: gonna say yes to whoever you need to.
1: Well, if I get twenty in my door, then like come the fuck on in, right? Oh, because I see what I'm you're gonna saying. make a lot more money. Yeah. Um, but um, their works might not always complement another member artist's work, and so, um. I think the curator has a harder job to stay loyal to all of those people that are paying them. Yeah. Um, but also, um, not pair them with someone who's not going to help their work, um, shine, True. the way it might need to, and that can be a limited curatorial palette. I love. I love, I I love how we're
0: like not saying names about galleries. We shouldn't, <laughs> but like I uh, won't. Yeah, but if you're from um, the area, you kind of know. Or yeah, I don't want you to. But yeah. like, yeah, I I, I agree. Yeah, I, I never looked at and that in the curation way where you might be next to an artist who will just completely shit on anything you do. And it's yeah. like, you won't or, be appreciated. Or it just mutes
1: it. You yeah. know, I could just be very passively muted. And, um, as a curator, I don't ever want to be limited in that sense. I'd prefer to work harder or have to pay extra money or, or do whatever, or, or put a project on hold for the right space, the right time where every element is like, so dead on um and and giving justice doing justice to to the next piece in space as well yeah. uh it's like you're just
0: considering everyone you're, yeah you're just being well, well you're
1: telling a th- that's what curating is right you're 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 telling a story that yeah. should be potent um i think narratively and and physically visually and and uh energetically right um so yeah, and as an artist, I don't really want to walk in somewhere and be like, why the fuck is my shit hung like that? You know, like,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, why is it hung between two people who are like, <laughs> don't is, go what, through what, that. Is, what is going on here?
1: Yeah. So I know that that model works for a lot of artists, so I'm not fully critical. It wouldn't exist if it didn't. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's why a lot of artists are also like, well, where are my opportunities Yeah, if I can't afford that well, but I, I think i want a gallery name but i don't really know right? yeah like
0: like i you know it's like the gallery is like a stamp of approval like oh look i'm in i'm in the gallery yeah and it's like but really what is it doing for what you what is it's it like,
1: doing for you it's like i
0: i don't know it's like you probably signed your life away for the next three years to this gallery and now you can't be a part of this group yeah. exhibition now you can't Go show at the rooftop of this bar that you curated all your friends and the brand that you've been building on Instagram to activate all your all your fans and stuff. It's hard. And that also it's like it's so crazy how the landscape of art has changed with the onset of social media Mm -hmm. and people. Mm -hmm. Artists can now create their brands and also a lot of fake artists can become really big just by being sensational.
1: Yeah. And and not to discredit, you know, obviously, I think that we need more galleries in D.C. and they're so integral mm-hmm. um i just think it's important if you look at the mod if you really look at the models where their money comes from and how they use it is um the city doesn't have as many options as other cities um when it, and that's why i think artists are going so underground which also makes our scene very interesting
0: wait but the galleries make their money off of the artist
1: but exactly versus like a nonprofit who, oh. like Transformer, who's paying artists. I right? see what you're saying.
0: It, the business it, the business model is different.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Um, and so, again, this comes into the artist needing to be an investigator and understand where they play a role in their creative economy and their creative ecosystem.
0: Yeah, it's like you can no longer be the archetype-starving artist anymore.
1: Oh, but, it's so unattractive.
0: Like, like you can't. It's, it's like a, maybe it worked for one or two people throughout history but
1: usually not
0: it's it's you're gonna die in the basement with all your paintings sit in the corner if, if you if you think that you're beyond being business person or beyond putting on that cap or or that you don't need to go and network with someone to meet the right person you know like yeah. or, or the worst you know what i hate to see is i hate to see artists who aren't a part of the artist ecosystem yeah it's like oh so you want a gallery you want a solo show in all these places but do you support other artists? Like, do you go right. to their show? Do you hang out on the moon Mondays? I'm sorry. I don't remember like the moon <laughs> prayers. Like, do you but go? Yeah, and, whatever
1: it is. Like, are yeah. you, and, and you know, it's hard to be on the scene all the time. Of course. I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that. So many people are like, come to my show, come to my show. I'm like, I'm going to be there.
0: But you're a busy woman. You're coming no, from a different position than the <laughs> artist who's like, I hope I can sell this painting. But, it's different.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, It's definitely, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think the, the moral of the story is that it doesn't happen overnight, right? Uh, Patience. Yeah. And so being patient and, um, kind of investing really, I think that so much is getting to know yourself though, because when you know yourself and what your work is about, you attract artists who have similar conversations and then all of a sudden that pack is more, has more potency um when they're communicating messages together um and you find galleries and other spaces that want to um help you with those narratives i see what you're right? saying so it's all so connected
0: Huh. Mm. F- like a defined like, like know yourself like yeah. it's, it's know yourself figure it out is. who you are
1: it is I mean, because that, if, if your work How, is from you, I mean that for me, it's meditation. I think for a lot of people, it could be different things and that's part of the work. So is mushrooms good? That is I, that a good one? You know, mushrooms are pretty cool. <laughs> 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 yeah, they are. <laughs> Especially if you do are.
0: Dude, I, I did a photo shoot the other day and this guy, I don't know why we we're talking about mushrooms, but we were, and he was like, yeah, he was like, I did. I did a little bit of mushrooms. He's like, it felt amazing. But he was like, you know. So the next night, I thought I would just do the rest of the bag. Turns out, I ate like six grams of mushrooms. And I'm by myself in my basement. He's like, he's like, I've never freaked out harder. And I don't know. Just just story just came to my mind. And I just remember him telling me this. I'm like, dude, that sounds like hell. That like, sounds terrible. Being in your basement with your family upstairs and you're just tripping. I'm like, dude. <coughs> that that sounds awful.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, that sounds awful. But 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 know yourself, find yourself. Whatever oh, whatever you think it might be, like like at the end of the day it's like that's what it has to be you have to have something to say
1: yeah and that takes a lot of work yeah and i think being patient to to go through that is important
0: hmm. i like that yeah I like that. so so what's up what's what's next with you like what what are you working on what are you excited for in 2020 you um, or everything like
1: yeah um for me personally i have a lot of work that i'm digging through i've i've like I think with this boom of, like, Latella finally having its rhythm Mm. and me, like, coming out of the closet, like, I'm going to be this unapologetic woman that I've always, like, hid. Um, Yeah, like, I actually feel passionately in love with my life every day. That's beautiful. And I feel a lot of validation because I knew I wanted to cultivate that feeling when I took all of those practical steps mm-hmm. and I stayed connected to that hope when times were tough and now I'm, I'm in it. And so I'm, I think that that's opened a lot of energy for ideas and I just have more space to compute mentally and emotionally and, and physically. Um, and so I'm taking all of these lessons I've learned in business but also um, this archive of just ideas that I've stocked up and kind of put to the side when as an artist when I was building Latella. Oh, okay. And they are fucking like flooding it right oh, now.
0: Oh, like now you're starting to work on all of that. Oh my
1: god, yeah. Nice. And I have the energy for it, and I have the materials and the space, and and uh, I'm still like, you know, am I Latella today or am I Marta today? Yeah. But you know, like there's there's a nice balance. Um, so I'm I'm finishing I'm like in between like ten personal projects at once right now, and I'm hoping that um I can finish them soon to document them and actually start applying to my own shows um cool. because I've done so many shows for other people and kind of have kept my practice on the side.
0: So you can do like a solo show or something. I'd like
1: to, yeah. Well, you
0: have your own space. I mean, whether well, there's nothing, nothing. I
1: don't want to do it there. Oh,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a little like <laughs> that's a little too easy. My right? space. I like see my shit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I see what you're saying
1: <laughs> um but yeah plus i have really big work and so i need a bigger space okay okay um and then with Latella, i'm really excited about a vec and we have a few other projects that are coming out that are going to be like that that wow. i think will take a year year and a half to actually go through all of the <laughs> the work but you know they're they're gonna get started this summer and um yeah, I'm hoping. So we did the Superfine Art Fair.
0: I I saw you. I visited your booth there.
1: Oh, did you? Yeah, I was there. Was I there when you came by? I don't if you were, so. I would have said
0: hi to you. You yeah, weren't there. Yeah, I don't
1: think we. I don't think that we met there. Yeah, no. Um, that I think was a turning point for Latella because we just did seven female artists, and that I think is that has been like this turnkey to bigger narratives I want to tell, and I could see us. Um, I want to start curating larger shows in, in bigger galleries and in institutions even that um, follow some of those um, more feminine narratives that I would like to tell mm. curatorially. Um, so I think I'm gonna go there. It's kind of the year of like fewer big projects rather than like, uh, the first three and a half years of Latella, maybe four years. It was like, we did an exhibition every month. Oof. It was like, churn, churn, but, churn. But
0: why Superfine Art Fair? What was, I mean, you said you curated, it was all with female artists, but what about that event specifically really kind of changed it?
1: Um, I've, we felt, we had a team discussion about the fair, and since it is one of the only fairs in D.C., True. Um, I figured that we should be part of it. Yeah. For no other reason, really. And also try out fairs since we're not doing stuff in our space anymore.
0: Well, well, well I'm saying that like, but the re- so, but you're saying it felt so good because the response to what you did there, like it was just so. No, I,
1: I don't think. Well, the response was great, but even before people saw it, when we were getting it together, it was like, okay, this this is like a tiny look into something that we could expand
0: are you familiar with hen house
1: yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. i don't know them but i'm familiar with what they do yeah
0: Yeah, i'm trying to get them on the show but yeah they they're they're like specifically female super
1: i love it i love it and they'd like do the tiny shows which are really good and yeah all of that so yeah i think you just you keep learning more and more about your niche
0: so it's exciting though yeah it yeah. seems like you're gearing up for a pretty fun and crazy 2020 I not am. just personally but also with blood and everything yeah
1: that's exciting
0: that's super exciting yeah. well marta i really appreciate you coming on and sharing the energy with me it's been great thank you
1: for having me yeah
0: hopefully in like a year or two or maybe however have you back on yeah you know? we
1: could do like a recap
0: yeah honestly i love doing that because i just did my first like year recap yeah it, my my friend chris pirate uh-huh And so much has changed for him in a year as an artist and just talking about it and like where he was when he first came on and and where he is. It was just, it was so cool.
1: Can you make me a promise? What's that? Um, That we need to like keep a tabs on what Gestapo is wearing when we do this recap. Okay. Well, how about this promise? How about this?
0: (laughs) If Gustafelstein comes through town, we're going. How about that?
1: absolutely yeah we'll take photos
0: of him our damn selves and 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 see what he is wearing
1: absolutely without a doubt